Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. In this final week leading up to Scaling New Heights 2017, I am honored to speak with Rich Priest. Rich from Intuit is one of our main stage presenters for the conference happening June 4th through 7th. We'll be broadcasting all of the main stage experiences live and free. So if you're listening to this before June the 4th, 2017, be sure to go to woodard.com live and watch. Now, Rich's keynote presentation is on Monday morning, June the 5th, and he is going to be talking about Intuit's partnership with accounting professionals. He is going to be talking from the context of his role as global accountant segment leader at Intuit. Now, I'm also going to be talking with Alex Barnett as part of this main stage Scaling New Heights speaker series. So stay tuned for a future episode of the podcast where we'll drill down on what Alex has to say from the main stage. If you want to tune in live, Alex is presenting on June the 6th, Tuesday morning, June the 6th at woodard.com slash live. Now, before we get started with the conversation with Rich, I want to thank our podcast partners. That's neat. They're data liberators from paper to usable integrated general ledger information. Smart Biz Loans, a great way for you to secure SBA, traditional bank lending for your clients or your own firm. And EntryList, automated accounts payable to automate your bookkeeping you offer to your clients or their back office if they do their own bookkeeping work. Now to learn more about these partners and to take advantage of some special offers they have for you as our podcast listeners, go to woodard.com slash podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about Rich. Rich, as we said before, is the global accountant segment leader at Intuit. And in that role, he heads up all of Intuit's partnership programs, products, and services for accounting professionals. That includes the Pro Advisor Program, Pro Advisor Certification, Accountant Education, and the QuickBooks Online Accountant product. Now, in that capacity then, Rich is tasked with empowering you to support into its millions of QuickBooks users, whether it's desktop or QuickBooks Online, and it's a role he takes very seriously, and it's a role he's very passionate about, as you're going to see coming up in the conversation. So let's get to that conversation with Rich Priest. So, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joe. I'm uh, looking forward to being here today, and I'm looking forward to seeing so many of pro advisors and yourself in Orlando here at Scaling New Heights very soon. Well, we're going to have quite a few pro advisors. As a matter of fact, a thousand pro advisors will be joining us in Orlando for this year's Scaling New Heights, the biggest one in the history of the show. And we really appreciate Intuit's continued partnership with us on that show. You're going to be presenting a presentation on Monday morning during our general session. And we're very excited to hear your vision for what's coming up in not just the Pro Advisor program, but really everything that Intuit does to partner with accounting professionals. And that's kind of where I want to go with my first question. You know, Intuit is a culture of innovation. We, we see this. And you guys are always running lean experiments. You're always, you know, creating fresh ideas and, and fostering those ideas internally within uh, various programs that you have in your, in your culture. Um, I know you're 
meeting regularly with your team and, and your group's constantly working to innovate the way into it partners with accounting professionals and bookkeepers. Can you tell us a little bit about your process? Whenever you are trying to come up with the next big idea for how Intuit can work with accountants, what do you do? Yeah, it's a great question, Joe. And you know, you just use the word partner. And I'll actually start there because I think we're very deliberate first and foremost about internally saying that accountants for us are partners and not customers. And, and we've realized that, you know, you treat a customer different than you treat a partner. And, and we love all of our customers, but a partner is where you are trying to invest in somebody else's success in service to them being successful with their clients, whereas a customer is in fact the end client. So I would just start by saying we very much realize and appreciate accountants as partners. Now from there, when we sort of think about, uh, you know, how do we innovate? It's really about deeply understanding the needs of the partner. So in this case, the needs of the accountant. And, and, and deeply understand means we don't assume. It's so easy, I think, um, to think that we know the answers, uh, to assume that we think what accountants need today and five years from now. But what's so much more valuable is embracing surprises. Our founder, Scott Cook, who started the company actually by founding the Quicken product that many people are still familiar with today, he talks a lot about embracing surprises. And how we do that is through a process um, called Design for Delight. <clears throat> now, Design for Delight is where you essentially innovate with customers. And so we'll bring accountants, for example, into our offices here. We will go and visit accountants in their offices or in their places of work. And we will, first of all, observe what they do today and what they're trying to accomplish. And of course, the first thing you realize is, you know, many people create workarounds when things aren't perfect. Well, a workaround's okay, but that's not really an optimal solution. So we look for kind of, you know, where are there inefficiencies that we can actually do something better than a workaround? You know, where, for example, do accountants have sort of dreams or aspirations which are not being fulfilled today by us, us or another provider? And we try to really sort of embrace those moments. Then we start to design and we start to put uh, teams of engineers uh, in place, starting to build prototypes. And then we constantly interact with, with customers, with partners, in this case with accountants, to say, does this make sense? You know, would you use this? Would you not use that? And so really it's an iterative process where off the back of embracing surprise, we put small teams of engineers together and we constantly bring accountants back into the kitchen. And then we just tweak and we iterate and we change and we just try to improve in, until we get to an eventual place where we are actually making a significant difference. And so we try and stay away from incremental and we try and get to that place where it's significant. And that's the process with which internally we call design for delight. And, and that whole design for delight model busts what we call here at Woodard the thought bubbles, right? And I know that's a very prominent term in the space. If, if you're listening here, you never heard it. The idea is that you, you, you get sequestered within your own organization and you begin to presume upon your partners and your customers what you believe they want. And, and it sounds like the core principle of Design for Delight is listen first, form an opinion second. Is that right? It is. It is exactly. And and even that opinion, you know, it's funny, we remind ourselves that any opinion is nothing but a hypothesis and a hypothesis should be proved or disproved. And the reason why that's actually so important, and I think can help any business, frankly, is 
people get a little bit passionately and emotionally wed to opinions. And so teams can have an opinion and they can say, now we are going to build against this opinion. And the problem is they forget that it was only ever an opinion. And so all they do then is try to process, you know, making it right versus if we listen and we have a hypothesis, you know, perhaps say an accounting firm, you know, our hypothesis is that um, new clients is the single biggest challenge they have in their firm. Well, then we can go and start building solutions where perhaps we learn that new clients are important, but it's not the single most important. And so then we maybe move away from that idea and we invest more in what is the most important thing. But again, a hypothesis is something that can be proved or disproved. And, and it doesn't have that emotional tissue that an opinion sometimes comes with. So you're absolutely right, Joe, but hypothesis is the key to the next step. I, I, I love that approach. Now, you've got a, a challenge that goes beyond just listening to U.S. accountants. You're the global accountant segment leader. And I can imagine listening, if you listen to accountants in Australia, U.K., Canada, in the U.S., you're going to get a different set of needs a different set of practice challenges and a different array of priorities. So how do you address the needs programmatically, whether it's QuickBooks Online Account It or the Pro Advisor Program of so many different countries? Yeah, no, it's, it's another great question, Joe. So the way that we think about it, and, and frankly, global expansion is, is critically important to us. And, and the only way we're going to be successful is by sticking to that sort of logic where we have to deeply understand the accountant first and we have to, we have to build against hypothesis, is we start with the premise that 80% of the jobs are actually very similar worldwide. And so 80% of the work, you know, it's essentially money in, money out. Um, it's essentially sort of bookkeeping and tax in many countries. It's obviously moving towards more consulting services, but 80% of that core accounting work is the same worldwide. So we start with which are those components which can be best in class and, and can sort of expand globally. And so we're very clear on what those pieces of the puzzle are. And then we recognize that 20% of this is then tailored per country. And I'll give you a few examples. When we go to Australia, and actually next week I'm uh, in Australia with the team, um, we recognize that mobile adoption in Australia is, is almost twice the mobile adoption in countries like the US and the UK. And so it is just significantly more a on-the-go, mobile-enabled, mobile-comfortable sort of culture. And accountants are no different. And so we have to make absolutely certain that the functionality on our mobile apps almost mirrors the functionality in QBO, and that bar is very, very high, and frankly, higher than it is in other countries. If I then go to a different example of France, in France, where we've launched uh, just in the last 12 months, um, compliance and regulation is, is at an all-time high relative to any other country. And a data point there would be, there are certain classifications of business returns, which are audited 90% audit rates by the French government. If you're an accounting firm and you know that nine out of 10 of your returns in certain classifications are going to be audited, obviously your specificity is just off the charts relative, for example, to, to certain needs in other countries. And so country by country, we just have to have a deep understanding of what is particularly important and sort of culturally specific and have the last 20% of the resources really build against those things and make that the reason why we can be best in class in that particular country. 
But but there are some common denominators, I would imagine, that are that would that would apply to all of the countries where you're deploying. For example, I would imagine that mobile is at least at, on the top ten list across the globe. It's just whether you get a spike on mobile in Australia as compared to the UK, correct? It is. No, you're absolutely right, Joe. And 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 you know, again, an example of that would be if 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 the mobile app had 50% of the functionality in the UK of QBO, then what we'll find is, you know, most accountants will say, this does what I need it to do. Obviously it could do more, but but for the large part, it does what I need it to do. In Australia, if that were true, we would have most accountants tell us this is unusable. It's unusable until you add these additional features and functionalities that I'm used to with QBO. And so, so that's where we sort of, each country is a little different. You know, and, and another another example as well would be self-employed. You know, we uh, you may have heard us talk a little bit about self-employed, particularly in the last 12 months. You know, this is a new category of which we, we built a new product, the QuickBooks self-employed product, very specifically for people who are self-employed and they're solving the challenges of understanding their tax liabilities, separating their personal and business expenses and trying to sort of, you know, run a profitable business as a self-employed individual, those needs are even more similar globally. And so what we found is we can often go into a new country with our self-employed offering. There, it's as much as 95% similar. It's mileage tracking. It's understanding tax rates. It's sort of a simpler problem we're solving for a very specific customer set. And then we build out from there. So you'll see us go into more and more countries with our self-employed product first. And in some of those countries, you are only deploying with mobile, correct? Correct. And that's something we'd never done that before up until the self-employed launch. And so I think our theory of the case had always been that in order to do a tremendous job in countries, both for accountants and small businesses, we sort of needed to have feet on the street and we needed to have teams on the ground. And so, you know, you look at the UK, you look at Australia, you look at Canada, India, you know, these are the countries where we put significant teams on the ground because we we, we have a hypothesis that, that that's what we needed to do. You know, we still realize that's incredibly important and we certainly have no intention of, of removing any of those people. In those countries I mentioned, we're only adding uh, headcount, but in newer countries where we don't yet have a brand, we don't yet have a presence, what we've realized is a mobile only offering actually sort of can start to get traction in a country without all of the other pieces of the puzzle that we've historically thought are necessary for infrastructure. And what's important is it allows us to go much faster. And so, for example, next year, we're expanding into 10 plus more countries just with self-employed mobile. And then obviously we will understand as we go which of those countries we then start to put teams on the ground. And in the U.S. where you've been deployed for decades, it's still critically important. Um, Intuit ran a study recently, and I know that you're, you're driving a lot of these decisions off that study, about the gig economy. And for those listening that haven't heard that term, it just refers to those those. Uh, people who are self-employed, but they're not necessarily running a business. They are working as Uber drivers or Lyft drivers, or they're working in TaskRabbit. And a lot of it is technology driven, but the idea is I have these micro businesses that I operate where somebody else is writing a check to me, and I'm in a sense a virtual contractor of that business. And uh, it's staggering, you know, the, the, what the Intuit study produced in, in, in their findings on the size of the gig economy by 2020. It's going to be a major segment of the U.S. economy. 
and, and, I, and I'm assuming that that's a mixture of sort of listening to the individual partner in the case of accountant or the individual customer and factoring in that big data. It is. Yeah, it is. I mean, and just to put a number around that, by 2020, our data shows that almost 40% of all U.S. Uh, individuals will be working in that gig economy. And so it's just an enormous growth area of small businesses and now micro businesses. Um, it's interesting. I, I spent uh, three years in London recently prior to the role that I'm now in and have been in for, for almost the last year. I was the country manager and European leader for Intuit uh, in the UK. And I met with Uber um, to really understand the gig economy. And one of the interesting things I learned was in London, for those of uh, your listeners who have been to London, you'll know that there are a lot of black cabs. And so transportation wise, lots of taxi drivers there, but we call them black cabs uh, because the, the appearance of the cab is, is a sort of a black bubble. Um, there are 22,000 black cabs in London. There are now 60,000 Uber drivers in London. And so there are now almost three times as many Uber drivers in London as black cabs. Now that's all happened in the last four years. And so it just goes to show how the gig economy can really transform an industry quickly. And then the number of employees in that industry or self-employed folks in that industry can just, just become huge. 60,000 again in four years in the UK, just, just for Uber. And so when you think about that, you realize that for accounting professionals, sort of looking the other way as this gig economy and self-employed space is exploding is likely going to lead to a bad place. It's likely going to lead to a place in two or three years time, some accounting firms will have adopted these folks and realized actually how to help them and how to monetize uh, as part of their firm, self-employed individuals. And some will have made an opinion that perhaps I don't want these clients, perhaps they're not profitable. And it's going to be a little bit of a them versus us. And it's important not to get on the wrong side of that equation. We've seen accountants who have changed their business model and perhaps have offered like a 30 or $40 a month package where they simply offer a monthly webinar and then a one hour consultation for tax season. And so that client becomes worth four or $500. And at scale, it's very, very important. I think that's where this economy is going and it's where the profession's going in terms of the accounting firms that will embrace it. Well, and, and I think it's important, Rich, because I'm seeing some of that as well. It's important for those listening to say, okay, that's, that's just one of the revenue streams, but you couple it with supporting them on PTO, the acronym for Professional Tax Online, and that talks to QBO at least, and I'm, I'm assuming that there are some plans for QuickBooks Self-Employed to talk to PTO as well. Is that in, on the horizon? It is on the horizon. It is. I mean, if I just take one step back for your listeners, um, you know, what I would say is we recognize that QuickBooks Online Accountant, so QBOA, which we feel, you know, very fortunate is used by hundreds of thousands of accountants worldwide. We recognize historically that has done a good job helping accountants collaborate and work with their clients on bookkeeping. But it hasn't really done anything to help them collaborate and work with their clients on tax. They have still had to use different products. You know, many times our products with ProSeries and Lacert. So again, we're very grateful for that. But 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 we put the burden on the accountant, and the data hasn't necessarily transferred over. So it's it's created sort of double entry on data. And so with that said, we have we have committed to solving that problem. Um, PTO, uh, which is which is our online tax offering, is now fully integrated in the QBOA. 
And so now for a client who an accounting firm manages their books and their tax, all of that can now be done where the data crosses seamlessly within QBOA. Now that's background to your specific question, Joe. We understand that self-employed um, small businesses have the same need for tax help and accountants as sort of traditional small businesses. And so we have the first step is we have taken self-employed, uh, we've taken the product, we've integrated it into QBOA, and we've integrated it on a wholesale billing. So that was step one, just to make sure that accountants could operate and work with self-employed clients in the same way they could their traditional QuickBooks Online clients. The next step is going to be sort of taking the tax opportunity and integrating it with PTO, again, our online tax offering, to make sure that we are driving the efficiencies up and likely the price point that accountants have to charge down so accountants can make a decision on how they service this new group of small businesses who, who potentially aren't going to pay quite as much, but they also won't cost as much to service. And so our intent- And you can service more of them, right? So it's a scaled economic model. And through that scaled economic model and automation, you can actually turn a very reasonable profit off of say supporting 100 or 200 Uber drivers. Exactly. And of course, so much of this is word of mouth as well, that what we've heard is for those accounting firms that, for example, are supporting, you know, 50, 100, 200 Uber drivers, you know, what happened was they got the first 10 and those 10 told the next 100. And so the important thing here is to establish a presence as a firm that is looking to help this particular set looking to meet them at a price point that makes sense on both sides and then quickly a flywheel and a word of mouth effect is taking place so i think you're absolutely right and again our intent is to put that decision making in the hands of the accountants with tools that will allow accountants to make those decisions i think that's a, that's a fantastic approach so if you're listening to this hopefully this encourages you folks invest in the gig economy the data is showing that's going to be 40 percent of your potential approachable market uh, by the year 2020 and if you just ignore that 40 percent um then you're going to reduce the size of your opportunity i think you're going to lose a tremendous amount of opportunity to service a demographic um, that can be profitable don't dismiss them because it's it's not a lot of money per client just find ways to service them in mass and rich has done a great job laying out how into it can help you there um, Rich, I want to turn to the to the Pro Advisor program for a minute. You know, um, we've heard the announcement. There are now over two hundred thousand Pro Advisors across the globe, and there are over a hundred thousand, well over a hundred thousand, right here in the U.S. I think that's a that's a fantastic number. It's a huge home run for Intuit. But what does it mean for the individual Pro Advisor? I mean, when I joined the program back in the late '90s, I was one of hundreds, and just being in the program gave me distinction. If I'm one of 200,000, am I not just sort of lost in the sea of names? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good question, Joe. The, uh, I've, I've been at Intuit for 15 years personally, and so I was actually here when we started the Pro Advisor program, and I was even working in the accountant part of the business. And so I have a, a good sense of history on this. And as many of your listeners will know, of course, we started with this predominantly being a desktop pro advisor program. And then over the last few years, we've now sort of offered as well a QuickBooks online uh, pro advisor program. 
Now, to your specific question, you know, we've been very fortunate to have so many accountants embrace the program and benefit from the program. Um, but we now need to do a better job. And I actually feel that uh, here at Intuit, um, we have not been as clear as we should have been um, about what are the benefits of the program and how can we help firms. And so let me tell you what we're going to be doing a little bit differently. You know, first of all, the premise of the program is around um, free education and training that enables accountants and, and all of the folks who work at the firm to be sort of comfortable to be a power user of QuickBooks and therefore help their clients. So this is all in service to helping clients, which of course helps the accounting uh, firm be more successful. You know, the ways in which we do that is we offer online training, we offer webinars, we offer virtual conferences, and we also offer certification. And so we have about 31,000 of those 200,000 pro advisors you mentioned who are certified. And so interestingly there, you know, I would say there's certainly an opportunity right off the bat to be a certified pro advisor if in fact you're not today and you're listening to this. That's the first thing that will sort of separate you from the group. Now, today there are benefits to that, including being on our Find a Pro Advisor program. We sometimes call it a matchmaking program. The reason why that's so important is we recently made a lot of changes to our Find a Pro Advisor program. And there are now 750 small businesses a day who we are driving to accountants globally um, looking for a new accountant. Now, that's a heavily U.S. driven number. So if you're a pro advisor who is certified in the U.S. and you're on our Find a Pro Advisor platform, you should be receiving leads today. And if you're not, take a look at your profile because we actually give you information as to how to improve your profile, which will make it more likely to get leads. So first and foremost, there's this tier of certified, which has 31,000 in it. And, and I've, been doing, I've been doing a little head math here, Rich, and um, there are, there's almost one lead per certified pro advisor per month. I and mean, assuming that all 750 per day on the average are unique visitors, right? We can just make a few assumptions here. That's a very reasonable set of numbers. So, so what you're saying is, yes, start by being one of the 200,000, but quickly become one of the 31,000. And then you're, it sounds to me like you're averaging almost a lead per member per month. And that, that's not a lost ocean of pro advisors. I mean, that's real market opportunity. Um, you mentioned the, the pro advisor profiles, and I didn't mean to interrupt you there. You were headed to a place where I might even be able to stand out a little more as one of the 31,000. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're absolutely right. And of course, the reason why it doesn't, there's no such thing as an average uh, in terms of sort of each firm getting one a month is because certain firms invest in their profile and they're getting a lot more than that. And other firms don't, and they're getting a lot less. So let me give you a couple of examples on the profile to your question, Joe. You know, at the high end, one of the most obvious things that you can do is actually simply add a photograph to your profile. Now, I know that sounds incredibly simplistic, but, you know, we worked with LinkedIn as we sort of built this new uh, platform. And it was one of the top things that they shared with us, which is, you know, it is an incredible multiplier on any sort of a matchmaking platform when there is a profile picture versus not having a profile picture. So at sort of the most obvious level, if you don't have a profile picture, that's the first thing we tell you to do. Now, at a more subtle level, we've actually incorporated customer reviews into the actual matchmaking platform itself. 
And so, for example, if you're getting reviews on Yelp, if you're getting reviews on other social platforms, we allow you to link those platforms to the matchmaking platform. And then anyone who is sort of considering your firm can read those reviews. Well, I think we all know whether we're shopping for sort of vacations or products on Amazon, we typically, most of us now read reviews. And so obviously if one firm has reviews and another one doesn't, most people pick the one with reviews. And so these are the types of things that when you come to the platform, we will tell you, we will help guide you and we'll tell you these are the things you can do, which is going to increase your opportunity to get more leads. And then what role does advanced ProAdvisor certification play in that distinction? Yeah, so what we're doing is we're saying basically there's a badge and that badge is going to say advanced certification and that's going to be very, very clear to the small business looking for an accounting professional. And so, for example, you know, if a small business is in the construction industry and let's pretend they're in Orlando, uh, we know we'll all be in Orlando here very soon, uh, Joe, and they're looking for um, a, a pro advisor, they'll come to the platform. Now, if, if they're looking across three or four that we've recommended, perhaps one is advanced and the others are not. Now, obviously, there's a good chance that that small business is going to recognize the expertise that that one firm has in advanced. It's not going to be the only thing. You know, again, perhaps the advanced firm doesn't have any social proof. Perhaps they haven't had a profile picture. So it doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily get that final client, but it does put them at an advantage because we will make it clear with a specific badge on the screen displayed to the small business that this particular firm is an advanced pro advisor. Well, it's, so it's a, it's a very important spoke in the wheel, but it's not the whole wheel. And, and I have found that to be the case as well, Rich. So if somebody, I don't want somebody to be discouraged and say, well, it won't even help me to become certified until I become advanced certified anyway. That's actually not the truth. I've talked with Chris Hamilton on your team a bit. He's got data to back that up. Plenty of certified QuickBooks Pro Advisors are collecting leads because of the other reasons that you mentioned. And, and, um, Industry specialization is something we teach very heavily over here at Woodard Institute and also at the at the conference. I know it's one of the key components of your firm of the future philosophy, but you have this list of of industries. And I know a lot of pro advisors, whenever they're filling out their profile, the thought is, well, let me check all the industries because at one point in my career or another, I have supported someone in these industries. I'm capable of doing it. And this will widen the net and this will generate more leads for me. Um, is that the approach? Well, we've actually, that, that's one of the changes we've made, Joe. And, and, you know, for full disclosure, it's a change that we've got, got feedback on to the good and the bad. And so let me explain the change and then let me explain the feedback. So you're absolutely right. Historically, on the Find a Pro Advisor platform, we would list, you know, 30 plus industries and many accountants, of course, would simply check all of them. And so then in the algorithm that sits beneath, you know, when a firm comes in and they say, I'm in, I'm based in Orlando, I'm in construction, I'm looking for an accounting firm that specializes in construction, they will be matched with a firm that simply checked all of the boxes. Um, now, that's not to say that firm doesn't have some experience in construction, but obviously it's, you know, if you checked every single box, that then, then it didn't really meet the specificity of like, where do you specialize? And so as we rebuilt the platform, what we said is you can list all of the industries, but for the purposes of the algorithm, you have to pick your top six. And so we sort of asked an accounting firm, you know, it's not to say you don't offer services in these other areas, but please tell us where you specialize. And the reason is 
it's going to provide a better matching experience for the small business. And again, back to this sort of partner comment I made at the top of the uh, discussion. If we are going to be a good partner to accountants, we should help provide the absolute best service for small businesses. And the best service for small businesses is an intelligent algorithm, not a just completely broad algorithm that lacks intelligence. And so that's why we did that. Now, I won't tell you that, you know, accountants haven't called me up and said, hey, Rich, you know, I, 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 I don't like the fact that you did that because um, I actually now don't get leads anymore from, for example, uh, construction. Um, but my feedback to them is, you know, you can go back in at any time and you can change the specialization in your firm. And if you believe that's a top six speciality, then obviously you should use one of those top six picks. But if you decide it's not one of the top six things in your firm, then unfortunately, you know, I'm not sure that we, with sort of full confidence and full commitment, can say that you absolutely specialize there relative to other pro advisors who are also in your area. So, you know, is it a little bit Well, that's a good point you make, Rich, because, because Intuit has to be of service in two directions, its partner and its customer, right? So, yes, maybe that pro advisor isn't getting as many phone calls, but you have a responsibility to the end user to match make them right to, with the best pro advisor to support them and give them the best experience on the product and so i, I challenge the the advisors listening and that's almost 100 percent of our audience think in both directions of that right if you've had two construction clients in the last 10 years or whatever it is and there's somebody else in your market that only services construction clients right let's let's help into it to match the end user to the best consultant to service that particular end user. And all it's gonna do is help you, advisor, because if your first love is inventory management and your deepest experience is inventory management, those are the people that you want walking, you want those folks knocking on your front door, not the occasional contractor that'll sort of skew you off your specialization. And, and you know, I was talking with Ron Baker uh, just yesterday and he said, narrow doesn't mean small. As a matter of fact, narrow is often the prerequisite of huge. And if you look at every business that has become huge, Apple has 60 products. HP has hundreds of products. Which one is more profitable? Starbucks only serves coffee. Other mom and pop restaurants serve everything under the sun. Which one is more scalable? Which one is more profitable? So I challenge you to embrace narrow advisors, and I'm 100% with Intuit on the decision they made here. Cool. Yeah, no, thank you, Joe. And, you know, again, and we'll continue to listen to pro advisors and, and hear the feedback, and we'll continue to sort of uh, treat this as an evolution. But that was just sort of one example where I agree with you. Specificity, I think, actually helps the accountants and helps the small business. Yeah, we actually get bigger as a result because the referrals, kind of like you talked about with the Uber drivers referring to each other. I've got one more question, and it's kind of a, a broad one, Rich, that I'm not sure exactly how you're going to answer it, and that's the fun of it. And we kind of wrap up with it. Um, let's imagine that we're in the year 2020 um, and, and you're reading some tweets from accounting professionals and they're tweeting about Intuit. What would you want those tweets to say? No, that's, uh, that's, that's a good one, Joe. The, you know, I think, you know, I would remind myself that, again, that the, the, the tweets that I'm most proud to read today and will continue to be most proud to read you know, in 2020 or at any point in the future will be the comments that say that I as an accounting firm 
I'm, I'm more successful in helping my clients be successful because of Intuit. And so if, if we are offering, you know, services and we are offering products and whether those things have, you know, embraced more machine learning, which I'm sure that they will, whether we are sort of helping with more of a consultative conversation versus data input. And we know that the industry is going there. You know, again, a tweet that says that QBOA has helped me move to become more of a business advisor. And now my clients are 10% more successful. Like that would be just something that, you know, I, I, I couldn't dream of anything better. I and absolutely so- love that answer because you went straight to the heart of the matter. I mean, I'm going to quote Ron Baker again because my conversation with him is fresh. I just spoke with him face-to-face yesterday. And he says the, the, the only measurement that matters is effectiveness, not, not efficiency. Efficiency is necessary for profitability, for survival. But effectiveness is what matters. What was the impact I had on my client? And um, he's also fond of saying that your client is your product not tax services, not QuickBooks consulting services or bookkeeping services. The client's the product. And the only question is, how good is my product going to be? Um, and, and so you, I think you just hit the nerve right there. And, um, and so Rich, with QBOA plus QuickBooks Pro Advisor and some certifications and the formula of Firm of the Future, if you don't know what I'm talking about there, listeners, is at firmofthefuture.com. You're saying that that creates the recipe for effectiveness. I think it does. And I think we have to be the engine that can help accounting firms get to that level, to your point of effectiveness and measurable effectiveness. I love the fact you added the word measurable, Joe. You know, it's 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 hearsay unless it's measurable. So for example, unless we're helping a certain firm, you know, increase the profitability for their clients because they use QuickBooks products and services, unless we're helping fewer small businesses go out of business because of the insights we put in an accounting firm's hands that they could then share in that sort of professional advisory sense with that small business. Unless we're doing those things and we can measure them, then we're not doing a good job. And you know, as I remind my team here every day, we have to earn the business of our accountants every single day. And that's how we should look at it. And that's how we'll continue to look at it. I like that. Rich, it's always great to talk with you. I love your vision for accounting professionals. And I'm very excited you're going to be with us in June. Joe, I appreciate the time. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, both you and so many of your, your listeners uh, and so many pro advisors in June. So thank you very much for today. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode and our conversation with Rich Brees. To learn more about this podcast series, to learn more about our annual conference, to watch live if you happen to catch this podcast in time to do so June 4 through 7, 2017, go to woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, Never stop learning and scale new heights.